Welcome to you, Mad About You do movies. your Owen Wilson, and I'll do my fake Tiger, fake, fake Tiger Woods <laughs> from the Musers. That would be wild. It's sort of <laughs> wild, you know, like a wild experience. But no, but we should do a whole uh, podcast um, in honor of Comic Con and just sort of talk, talk like this, like we're scared of the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, make yourselves comfortable. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad uh, About Comic Con. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go to show for all things cinema. Every week, we talk movie news, movie rumors, and movie rumblings, and review a chosen movie of the week. But don't worry if you haven't seen it, because we will warn you before we head into spoilers. And remember to stay tuned to the end of the episode for weekly recommends, in which each of us suggests something you need to check out as soon as possible. And also remember, you can find all of our episodes on iTunes and on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Com. This week's movie of the week is what, Brian? This week we're going to be talking about Richard Linkletter's Boyhood. Talk to me. Samantha, how was your week? Uh, I don't know, Dad, it was kind of tough. Billy and Ellen broke up, and Ellen's kind of mad at me because she saw me talking to Billy in the cafeteria. And you remember that sculpture I was working on? Well, it was a unicorn, and the horn broke off, so now it's a zebra. Okay, But I still think I'm going to get an A. Right? Mason, uh, how was your week? Well, Dad, you know, it's kind of tough. Joe, he's kind of a jerk. Actually, he stole some cigarettes from his mom, and he wanted me to smoke them. But I said no, because I knew what a hard time you had quitting smoking, Dad. How about that? Is that so hard? Dad, these questions are kind of hard to answer. What is so hard to answer about what sculpture are you making? It's abstract. Okay, okay, that's good. See, that's, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know you were even interested in abstract art. I'm not. They make us do it. Has there ever been a movie that has been this hyped up? it's it's up there this is a uh, anybody that you have you know follow on twitter or read movie reviews by or anything like that like if they've seen this movie they're pretty psyched about it that's for sure but i mean in the past 10 years this has been it's been all leading up to this in 12 years i mean they kept it under wraps for a couple of years i think the fact that they were doing this Mm. And so people have been waiting. Cinema lovers have been waiting for this film for a decade, seriously. And yeah. uh, man, I'm excited to talk about this one with you guys. It's good to talk to you guys. First of all, yeah, dude. I'm I'm coming to you remotely this week. So that's right. It's been a tell while. Tell us, uh, tell the listener where you're at, Mr. Kent. I'm back in Oxnard, as I was last year at Cowboys Training Camp, doing a little work, producing some quality podcasts, which is uh, obviously my forte. Uh, Cowboys Break and Talking Cowboys. If you're a Cowboys fan, check those out. And yeah, just enjoying the Cali weather, watching some uh, preseason uh, training camp football. How is uh, how's Texas? Is it 300 degrees yet? It is. It I is don't think it touched 100 today, so that's oh, pretty really? good. I'm still on Montana temperature clock. I'm still on the thermometer for Montana, so if it's above 90, I, I really feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> Richard, how was Montana? Did you fire any assault rifles this year? I did a bigger one this year. I, so, lo- I uh, love that your uh, your picture on our website is still you with an AK forty seven. Still haven't because, changed that because nothing is more me than that. Exactly, I just yeah. reek of of militaristic, gun loving kind of guy. It's just me in a nutshell. I mean, anyone that knows me would tell you that. So <laughs> I stand by it. 
No, it's it's always a fun trip every year. See the family playing on the lake, shooting guns that would be illegal in any other place. Good. It's good to be home, though. Good to be home and good to be talking to you, fine gentlemen. And can't wait to hear tale of those mighty cowboys and their camp of training. I'll tell you one right now. Oh uh, yeah, fun li- fun little story. They give it. They give each department a golf cart. You know, and uh, okay. so we share a golf cart with probably six other people in my department. And uh, day one of training camp, Tony Romo steals the golf cart. Still haven't gotten it back. It has our department name plastered on the front of it. And uh, we left the keys in it at dinner. And then we, we left. And the security guard was like, yeah, Romo just sat in it and, and drove away. He's got a back injury now. So we're we're kind of hesitant to go, to ask for it back. So <laughs> hashtag cart watch. On Twitter, if you're interested in uh, in the status of the stolen golf cart, nice. but uh, so yeah, I'll keep I'll keep everyone updated on that. It's funny story. It's Brandon Whedon also did that, and he was immediately kicked <laughs> off the team. Just like nope, not dealing with those shenanigans. John Kitten is back, so get out of here. I, I'm no, I know this is a movie podcast, but Brandon Whedon going from a first round draft pick, starting quarterback, franchise quarterback in Cleveland to coming here and just no one even looking at him is pretty funny <laughs> to witness. Yeah, he's older than Romo. That's the weird part. He's been in the league two years. Yeah. He's, older than Romo. <laughs> he, he's a guy we can develop though. I mean, <laughs> by the time he's 40, he might be, yeah. you know, suitable to play in the yeah. NFL. So what's, uh, what's Stephen McGee doing? Is he, uh, is he he's sitting on Lake Austin, I think, uh, okay. drinking a beer. So he All made right. a, made a pretty good living. Not playing it down of football or <laughs> playing one game of football. Yeah. Right. He has a dartboard with Johnny Manziel's face on it. <laughs> he came to the Cowboys, and then when we cut him, he went down to the Texans for like three years and, and made a paycheck because of Wade Phillips. But well, golly, Stephen. He just likes his last name's McGee. Yeah. How's last name McGee? <laughs> Wade Phillips, everybody. Yeah. Um, like one of my four impressions that I do. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, sounds a lot like Comic-Con guy. Comic Con guy, I love Comic Con guy, and we're gonna need his his opinions on, on some of the stuff that's happened. Who he knew? Yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. I've been kind of out of the loop here, Brian. I want to ask you, what are some of the headlines that you that you know from this past week at Comic Con? What have the people been chatting about on Twitter regarding it? Uh, well, everybody got real excited about Jupiter ascending, which is foolish. I'm sure that's <laughs> going to be terrible. Uh... We got oh, February. That's when good movies come out. Yeah, yeah. I I do want to talk about that though because um, Wachowskis make awful movies. They've made, in my opinion, they've made one good movie and a bunch of other just absolute crap. And what's so, the good movie you're referring? The Matrix. To? The Matrix is a good movie. They they made a movie with good parts. I wouldn't necessarily say as a whole the Matrix is great. In my opinion, okay. I don't well, think it holds. You know what I mean. Great. Like, yeah, there are I, I great parts, I, but I don't know if it's a good movie. I just okay. I can't decide if it for is for 1999. Good movie, sure. I, I I'll say ha, you're right. Has not aged well, but not, still still a pretty decent movie. If if you've made the Matrix, then uh, you've got something to hang your hat on, and that's all they've hung their hat on for the last 15 years is is the Matrix. The sequels are terrible, and, and Bonnet, not just that. <laughs> yes, exactly. God. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, uh, sir? <laughs> my favorite part at the end of the Matrix is when they go directed by Andy and Larry Wachowski. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like wow, that was those were the days. But continue. Right. Sorry, um, but 
since then, have they made a single good movie? I don't think so, and I don't think any of them are even close to a good movie. Uh, Cloud Atlas had its admirers, which Kit was one at one point or another, but that's I hated that movie. I, I, I truly hate hate the movie. So My deal with Cloud Atlas, just for the record, not sure if it's the worst movie of all time or one of the most yeah. profound movies of all time. It's mm-hmm. It's somewhere in between extremely profound and the worst film ever made, so... Not good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I can't stand that movie. But so anyway, we've got 15 years of people buying into the Wachowskis hype and they have not made a good movie in during that time. So it was shocking to me that Twitter went nuts with people getting all hyped it up for Jupiter Ascending because I, I a that movie, even if it wasn't the Wachowskis, the movie looks truly terrible. And I know we haven't seen whatever they released at Comic-Con, but the trailers that we had seen when it was supposed to be released last week were awful so i cannot imagine that it is a good movie even aside from wachowskis but man people were stoked about it i i don't get it i don't understand where that's coming from the fanboys will say well they delayed it because it's it's not finished yet they need more time to work on this masterpiece no actually when they started the started the production they had a timeline yeah and they had a date to be finished which they completed the film turned it into warner brothers and they're like okay we're not releasing this and the in the heat of the summer, this right. is gonna this is gonna make no money. It's gonna pe- this is gonna be the uh, the Razzie Award winner of the year or, or or something. So let's just delay this until after our good movies come out this year. You know, right. so right. I it, it's it, like Richard said, no movies, very rarely good movies come out in February unless it's an Oscar push or something in in January or, the, uh, or something or the Kellen Luntz Hercules. <laughs> the legend of Hercules, Richard. Yeah, Seriously, right. show some freaking respect. <laughs> okay. Speaking of Hercules, let's we're going to talk about that later. So let's teach yes. that the new Hercules, yeah. by the way, which right. you guys saw. Yeah, Comic Con. Also, we got we got news that Joaquin Phoenix is likely the front runner for Doctor Strange, which yeah. I think uh, is very good news. I think that sounds great. That'll be very exciting. They're going to make a movie out of The uh, the Last of Us, which is a video game I played last year. I'm not a huge video gamer or anything like that, but I think I made it in my weekly recommend at some point when yes. I was playing one of the most immersive video game experiences I've I've ever uh, I've ever done. So that was pretty cool. And uh, is Marvel Page, is Helen Page going to be in that? <laughs> she's not the face uh, the character of her. And she's <laughs> in them, right? Right. It's it's Maisie Williams from uh, Game of Thrones is who they're tagging. Nice. The guy who plays the girl who plays Arya Stark. Um, and then Marvel. Mm-hmm. Let us know what's headed our way in 2017 by releasing the uh, news that uh, that James Gunn will be coming back for Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2 to write and direct that film. So yes. that's a pretty – I feel like that's a pretty big, pretty big announcement given how far away it is and that the first one hasn't even reached theaters yet. I, I guess they're – they're certain at this point, as I guess we all are, that this is going to be a huge hit. So sure. good for them. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 confirmed for July 28th, 2017, which is exactly three years from today, July 28th, 2014. So kind of weird. Crazy. Three years from today, we'll be sitting in the theater uh, watching Guardians 2. But yeah, it's exciting. They must know something that we don't know about Guardians. It's getting fantastic reviews. Of course, our full review will be posted next week. Uh, it, I've been excited from day one. I'm pretty sure we talked about Guardians on our first podcast. And, <laughs> and here we are two and a half years later or, or whatever it is. Uh, 
about to see it. Really excited for that. Avengers Age of Ultron panel, also a big hot topic of, of Comic-Con. And yeah. an Ant-Man panel. What do you? What did you hear about those? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, uh, Comic Comic Con guy in the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you gonna? Are you going to maintain any of Edgar Wright's original vision, or are you going to create your own world that is separate from his in such a short time frame? Thanks for answering my question. Comic Con guy obviously yeah. always gets really close to the microphone. That's <laughs> that's a trait. <laughs> Oh, Comic Con guy, never change. Yeah, Ant Man. I'm can't. I'm nervous. kind of an awkward panel. Lie. I mean, I, I, if there's anyone I trust, it's it's that group of people. Right. And seeing Michael Douglas at Comic Con is awesome, and all that good stuff. Some some pr- girl in a Princess Leia costume definitely got like a slap on the butt as she walked by. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a little. Uh, I'm a little nervous. What about you, Kat? How do you feel? I'm nervous, but I think they would have scrapped it if they didn't think they had something. You know, or Paul Rudd would have left or something, something more drastic than Edgar Wright being stubborn about a rewrite or being stubborn about an Avengers reference in the movie. You know what I mean? Oh, is that, is I think that there's the something special here. I, I that's the rumor was that there was a, a significant rewrite without Edgar Wright's um, consent. Okay. And it had something to do with forcing Avengers into it. Or something. They wanted more references to past films. For instance, in The Winter Soldier, where they talk a lot about the Battle of New York. So I think he, like we said, he wanted it wanted it to be a standalone. But Marvel doesn't do standalones at this point in time. So I, I think they have something there. I think it'll be different tonally than a lot of the movies. And I say that before seeing Guardians because I think it'll be more along those lines. But a little teaser for Guardians. Two, James Gunn has come out and said that the Guardians will eventually cross over with the Avengers. Wow. Which, <laughs> think about, that's going to be something. If, if Avengers isn't the biggest movie, uh, Avengers yeah. 2 isn't the biggest movie of all time, maybe the Avengers meets Guardians will be. <laughs> that yeah. is, uh, that's, that's how to build. guy just passed out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how to build something, man. <laughs> From oh, the ground yeah. up. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> Thanks for asking my question. You're welcome, Comic Con guy. We'll see you next year. Thanks. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but, I mean, James Gunn is obviously knows what he's segue. doing here. He just got on a segue and left my studio. That's weird. Comic Con guy? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Four wheeler. Four wheeler. Can afford a, a segue? Oh, oh, okay. So a Chinese yeah. knockoff segue? <laughs> All right. If you listen carefully, you can still hear him breathing as he, as he drives away on the segue. No, that's his inhaler. <laughs> most like most out of date nerd joke of all time, like or <laughs> humor, such a nineties thing. Go ahead. On the Continue. contrary of of Marvel, we have DC panel. Oh god! And DC, <laughs> just stop DC. Just yeah. stop making movies, please. You have to stop. And DC teasing a film that comes out uh, at least two years from now, at the earliest. Full cast there to promote it. Um, Nope, they're really they're either really committed to this bit or they really think this is a good idea. I can't. Yeah, oh, guys, and so we're st- we're a year away from Star Wars Episode Seven. Haven't seen anything. And yeah. no Comic Con footage, no teaser posters released. Nothing. We're nine months from Avengers: Age of Ultron, and we've seen one teaser poster for it. And but we already have a, a, a trailer and multiple. Uh, character reveals for Dawn of Justice or Batman v Superman 
I should uh, I should call it. And uh, that comes out in, a, in at least two years from now. And uh, 2017 for Justice League, which they're also talking about. So, you know, just just taking it slow, letting it build, <laughs> letting the hype just organically build among the fans, you know. just They also released the Wonder Woman outfit. What are y'all's reactions to the to the new Wonder Woman? Besides, uh, Gal Gadot is a pretty attractive female. It looks closer to something out of a He-Man movie than yeah. <laughs> a Wonder Woman movie. I mean, is it possible that Zack Snyder in his spare time funds many, many steroid operations and this is part of his deal to try to get America <laughs> to buy in steroids because Cavill and Affleck... Affleck looks they, awful. It, it's ridiculous. They look like they're wearing actual like machine costumes it's it doesn't i don't this doesn't add up it doesn't there, work there is it's, a machine it looks terrible the the teaser tr- uh, footage that was released was like a the yeah. bat armor yeah what, what he was wearing yeah. so maybe it that's looks, what you're referring to they're going like iron man with with batman i glowing eyes and everything i man i know i've been crapping on this movie but Literally every single piece of news that gets released about it puts me further and further over the edge of this is going to be one of the worst movies ever. I I really dread the day of seeing this. Yeah, I, I'm I agree with you, but disagree with you on that point because I can't right. wait. Yeah. Did you hear what Kevin Smith said, man? This is a dream. <laughs> I mean, this is this well, is his Kevin dream. Smith said it. You know? Oh. Yeah. Then he put on his his Batman versus Superman hockey jersey and waddled away. <laughs> he has one of those. On a no segue. Joke. I saw it. I saw That's him wearing <laughs> Speaking of this of the steroids, Jay, oh, we know Jason Momoa playing Aquaman, one of the most Jeez, ripped people ever. I forgot about that guy. Yeah. And and guys, this will blow your mind. Guess who's playing Shazam? Oh, I I saw it. Now I can't remember. The is, one, it Shaqu- is it Shaquille O'Neal? No, that's is it the Rock? Uh, it is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh man, oh, playing man. playing Come on, get run, out run of away, there. Rock, run away. He so, should be Venom in a Marvel movie. Yes, and it's funny because the Rock was when he gave, kind of sort of gave away what his role was going to be when he was promoting Hercules. He said, "Well, man, I've just been talking to DC for years, trying to find the right character." Uh, for me to play and everything. Why? Why aren't you talking to to Marvel? Why would you not try to get involved in that? I mean, maybe he has loyalty to Warner Brothers for some reason, or the producer, or something. Why would anyone hold out for DC property at this point? I, I just don't. I just well, don't maybe understand. He, maybe he started the conversation. In fairness, and this is a serious point, he may have started those conversations during the Christopher Nolan years. Sure. That's true. Yeah, good point. And That's so maybe point. maybe when he said for years, you know, during the I mean, there was a couple years there where DC was still hot because of that one yeah. franchise. And uh before the before got all snidered. So that's the only thing that I could figure out that maybe he means by that. But, yeah. you know, he didn't listen to his family. Vin yeah. Vin knows the line with Marvel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe in about 2019 Vin will go to Kevin Feige and be like, you never turn your back on fans. <laughs> and they'll bring the rock into, into the, the fold for uh, some, I don't know, Ant-Man 3 or something. Yeah. My favorite part about Vin and Marvel, they come up, they approach him and say, all right, we want we want to do a movie with you, but you're going to play a tree. And you're only going to say three words for the entirety of two hours. I'm in. I'll yeah. do it. Hold, you know? hold on. Is this group of people? Are they like a family? 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. I guess they're going to look I'm at in. it that way. Sure, I'm in. I'm in. Exactly. Speaking of of the Rock, guys, let's let's get your thoughts on Hercules. I didn't get a chance to see it. I only uh, made time for Boyhood this week. Uh, I didn't think I would even see Boyhood, uh, but it was playing pretty near, pretty close by. So, so the Hercules podcast will have to wait till later in the year. But you guys saw it, so I'll turn things over to you. What are y'all's thoughts on on the new Hercules? I, I think I liked it more than you, Brian. I actually didn't hate yeah. it that much. There was some. I mean, it's it's a bad movie, but like kind of like you were saying. Uh, with the Matrix Kent on a much more extreme level. There's some parts to really like about it. The supporting cast is kind of interestingly cast did and playing parts that you want them to play. It's like, yep, Ian McShane doing what Ian McShane does and uh, Joseph Fiennes doing what Joseph Fiennes does. Like no one is really – and yes, The Rock doing what The Rock does. Um, so I, I admired that. It had kind of a uh, you know a, a bit to where everyone seemed at least moderately self-aware. Uh, then there was this whole other part of the movie, which was probably a majority of the movie, but not as big of a movie as you would part of the movie as you would think. I'm saying, Brian, you may agree with disagree with the percentage, but I would say like only 65 percent of the movie was terrible Ratner, and then there's like part of it that was decent. 45 percent was decent. Is that a fair percentage? I think you're totally right. The casting is great. Whoever cast this movie really – I mean literally they did a very good job with uh, yeah. with all the, the supporting characters. The Rock is Hercules. That's easy. Anybody can can put that together. Sure. But uh, Ian McShane and then actually like giving Ian McShane a little bit of a character to work with was interesting because yeah. that guy is fantastic. He very rarely gets to do anything in a movie that is of any value whatsoever. Sure. I, I don't really know why that is but – I, and I really like Rufus uh, Sewell. He's yes. always been a guy that I, I kind of is on the fringes of being in good movies or being popular, and, and I always like that guy. Um, there's some other any anyway that that also that's all very good. I felt like every single time the movie started to get going, Ratner showed up and just Ratnered everywhere, and I <laughs> great I great use great verbiage. Thanks. Yeah, um, I despise Brett Ratner. Like that's. If you were going to make a story, a, a movie about my life for, I don't know, for whatever, because something's hor- horrible will clearly happen in the back <laughs> half of my life. And, and you said, all right, you get to choose any director you want. He would literally be the last choice. Like, Uwe Boll, fine. Michael <laughs> Bay, fine. Paul W.S. Anderson, fine. I mean, fi- totally fine. Not, just not Brett Ratner. That would be my one request. Um He's just—he's terrible. Not only is he terrible, like he's also—he's very lazy as a filmmaker. But I also feel like he has never seen a movie before, and so he brings out these. This movie, especially Hercules, is just there's so many moments that are incredibly cliche, and that happens in fairly throwaway summer action movies like this. So you know, I can't. I don't usually get that up in arms about it, but this one, it felt like I'm about to show you guys something you've never seen before. By the way, the guy who walked away and left the group 25 minutes ago, he came back to save the day. Oh, you're totally shocked, right? And it's like, we've seen that in every action movie ever. That doesn't, that's not a good plot point. To me, it really struggled with tone. I did not expect it to be, to make an attempt to be funny. Um, yeah, so that kind really, of took me. That was weird too. Yeah. Yeah. The it, humor, I, and I love humor, but it was kind of like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. It's, it's, I've made the point before when we talked about transformers, Michael Bay, I can't stand Michael Bay's sense of humor. I think he's, he, he's not funny, but he thinks he's funny. Uh, Robert Zemeckis is kind of the same way. And Brett Ratner is the king of that. Like, I just don't, 
the things that he has the these actors saying and doing and stuff in the in his movies clearly he thinks it's hilarious but it's not funny so as a anyway to me You're it right. struggles and, with tone and and, and so part, it, it's never funny enough to be like truly humorous but it's never serious enough to be taken seriously if that makes sense very true and and the part halfway through the second act where chris tucker showed up and started singing <laughs> michael jackson yeah was yeah, just started yelling at asian people <laughs> i i don't know i thought that was yeah. strange yeah, that was that was <laughs> an interesting choice to put it put it as nicely <laughs> as possible. But like, yeah. you do have to say though, and in in Ratner's bad, and part of that too, it, I hate being fair to Brett Ratner, but part of that is the script doesn't give him a lot of room. I mean, the script has a lot of cliches in it, and he didn't write sure. it. But you know, it's not as bad as it could be. Yeah, it, it's not as bad as it could be because the cast is great, and they yeah. really do. Maybe the biggest sin of the whole movie is is casting the Rock. And then kind of keeping him in chains for the first yes. 80 minutes of the movie. I understand. I, I'm the biggest proponent of Godzilla. And that was one of the things that I loved about Godzilla was that you didn't really ever see Godzilla until they really had built to a point where it it had its greatest impact. So I get the concept behind everybody's going to come to see this movie for The Rock and we're just going to kind of keep them waiting for The Rock to, to be The Rock. You can't wait until 83 minutes into the movie. Like that's too, wow. you pushed it way too far to the point where I'm not kidding here. Like there was a couple of times when, especially it wasn't, it was this movie's not shot well in a lot, lot of places, but there was a couple of times where it kind of <laughs> uh, focused in on the rock. And I literally had to, had to keep myself from from thinking that it was Kevin Sorbo. Like it was that – like there's no reason for The Rock to be in this movie for about 80 minutes. And then you're like, oh, OK. Now The Rock is The Rock and that, and that aspect is is awesome. But don't, don't give me The Rock as Hercules and then have him play soft the whole movie. Like that just doesn't – I don't know. That, that seemed like a very, very poor choice. Yeah, something that – and I, I totally buy our, y'all's opinions, but something that just totally turned me off to it was the initial teaser trailer where it says, uh, before he was a god, he was a man. Yeah. And yeah. no, I, he's he's the son of Zeus, isn't he? He's, <laughs> he's always a god. Yeah. You don't – gods yeah, don't it, have, have men and then they become gods. You're, you're a right. god always, so – the whole bit is and, – and that also is an odd choice to to strip all the mythology away from yeah. a piece that is completely rooted in mythology. It didn't look like uh, Olympus. You know, It looked right. like cavemen. Right. Uh, they're wearing skins yes. and they had clubs and everything. It, it, right. it seemed very different than my, my personal vision of what a Hercules film would be, a, sure. a live-action Hercules film. Sure. It, it was like it, they were taking from Game of Thrones or something. You know, Right. Yeah, 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 and 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 that's the point I think is to is to emphasize the the manlier side of of him instead of the god side, and they make a big deal out of it, and they try. I think he try they try to play it for comedy, but it, it doesn't it doesn't work. And so yeah, I don't know, man. I the the cast was good enough for me to not hate myself sitting through the through the whole movie, but Brett Ratner, dude, this might be this might be the worst thing. That he has done yeah. from a from a job performance standpoint, like this should be better. X-Men. This should be significantly X-Men. better than it is. X Men. That's bad X-Men. too. But this really this 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 really angered me with specifically with Brett Ratner because it it felt like an opportunity missed. And and X Men is totally that way too. You're 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 right. But 
We, Man, we watched this... the last stand or whatever that one is. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. You're right. I just there's stuff to be done here. I think Hercules makes for an interesting concept. It's strange to me that we haven't had a good Hercules movie. I went I I came out of this and I thought I wonder if The Rock would have been better in the first one that came out this year, the Kellen Lutz one or whatever. So I rented that because I'm an idiot and it's truly, truly one of the worst movies of all time. Um, I want you guys to, uh, so not a weekly recommend. I really want you to, to watch it though. I, I want to, I'm going to mail you guys $4 each so that we can talk about it because yes. <laughs> there's a scene. It's 17, 16 minutes into the movie <laughs> where, he starts fighting the lion of Nabia or whatever, but the Kellen Lutz version is fighting the lion of Nabia, and it is the worst CGI that has ever <laughs> existed in a major motion picture. <laughs> and it ma- it made me so, I mean, angry, but also just overjoyed with I can't believe how bad this is that I started texting my friends, "Are you home? You gotta rip this movie so we can talk about it." And um, it's uh, it's terrible. So <laughs> does he eat Sorry. any marshmallows? <laughs> no, but it it certainly solidifies Kellen Lutz as the the least talented actor on uh, on God's That's Green Earth. But uh, anyway, as far as this one goes, it it could have been a lot worse. But it also has the bones to be a lot better than it is if an actual rock was directing it. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's just Ratner. It's just Ratner all yeah. over the place. Uh, it kind of flopped last weekend at the box office. Mm. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's Lucy, surprisingly number one, after Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, still is pretty hyped up. Another movie that the premise is completely ridiculous, Morgan Freeman. What if we used more than 10% of our brains? <laughs> well, actually, we do use more than 10% of our brains. Uh, that's that's complete BS. That's not a fact. That That was a misquote from like a misquote of a misquote. So and congratulations. Your entire movie is based on something that's not true at all. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy that. I heard that was just, I heard it was seriously pretty rough. Uh, yeah. I had a couple of friends that went to see it and they, they did not, they were not kind to it. Apparently if you, if you use more than 10% of your brain, you can hack into computers, <laughs> go 300 miles an hour. If you're driving, uh, things like that, you know? Wow. So, I, I had no idea, but I'm excited. Did you guys ever see Limitless with Bradley Cooper? No, I was I about to make a <laughs> Limitless joke. I was about to say it was weird when she turned into Bradley Cooper at the end. That was, <laughs> but it'll probably get a sequel. So I'm sure Lucy Two will be fantastic. It made almost, <laughs> made almost fifty million dollars. So yeah. we'll get three Lucys yep. hopefully. And Morgan Freeman in yet another role where he just explains the plot of the movie. <laughs> so he can get. Those. It's almost like he's doing it as a bit now. Yeah, seriously. He his his role in movies is so that they can cut him and put him in the trailer to explain the plot to people in the trailer. <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. I wish I had that gig. He should just start working in stuff about penguins. <laughs> just narrate meerkat documentaries and uh, and do and explain plots in movies. It's a pretty good gig he's got. So um, she could use ten percent of her brain, but do these two penguins make friends with each other? <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for like senile Morgan Freeman in like 15 years. Oh yeah, I can't wait. But it still sounds so soothing to the ear. People just leave it in the movie. <laughs> I swear, halfway through that, he was just talking about penguins in the South Pole, meerkats. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. 
And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. All right, guys. The time has come. Let's move on and talk boyhood. But, Dad, I mean, why is it all on us, though? You know, what about you? How was your week? You know, who do you hang out with? Do you have a girlfriend? What have you been up to? I see your point. So we should just let it happen more naturally, right? That's what you're saying. Okay, that's what we'll do. Starting now. Like Hercules, guys, I am I'm more excited uh, in this episode, in this review, to hear y'all's thoughts on this movie. Um, more than I am to give my own thoughts. I do have thoughts. I'm really excited to talk about it. But first, I want to hear your initial thoughts. Brian, I know you're you are a big fan, but Richard, let's start with you. What were your thoughts on on Boyhood? Initial impressions first, save spoilers, of course, for a little bit later. Okay, this is going to be tough. So, Brian, I'm going to try not to uh, st- – I, I, I saw pieces of your review online. Oh, and yeah. I agreed with a lot of it, and so I'm going to try to talk about it without stealing any of your points because I think feel, they're Feel free. They're I very steal good. from you quite often when I, when I talk <laughs> first, so feel free. So, you know, a completely unique movie-going experience, right? I mean this is unlike anything uh, you've ever done, and, and with the knowledge of what it is going in, um, you kind of even enter into it. I only started with kind of this – not only excitement, but kind of, uh, I was ready to interpret the movie in a new way that I never interpreted anything else for. Right. But then you're kind of, the thing that really blew me away is how well this does work as just like kind of a movie, even though the plot's not like the most, the crazy thing in the world. It's like just so, (sighs) what makes this movie work to me is not the gimmick of the people aging. It's like, if you, if you had hired, different people to play the especially the boy in different parts of his age the movie still would have been very good 
and then you add to it this sort of incredible gimmick um it's you know remarkable and completely unique and astounding but i, I it's, but that's been spoken about a lot just at its core um this is just a really well written and well crafted and oh gosh unbelievably shot movie i'm still i it's been several days and it's you know all i've been thinking about Brian. yeah man this is uh it this is a movie that like i have a hard time i I'm, i wasn't i wasn't that excited to talk about it almost because i feel like I can almost not, I can't bring anything new to the conversation, you know, like it's just been covered so extensively by people who are much better, uh, writers and, and speakers and whatnot than I am. So that, that's always, it's always tough. Um, when a, when a movie is like universally beloved, like this one has turned out to be, I think it's at 98% on 99% on Rotten Tomatoes and the two people who didn't like it should probably be I don't know, murder or something. The people but, that didn't recommend Gravity last year, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, real smart. <laughs> so, yeah, like Richard said, this is a. It's almost less of a movie than it is a. I've been trying to sell it to people as you have to go see it as an experience, not even as a movie. And yes, the movie aspect of it is very good, but. Um, you're never. I don't think we're ever going to see anything like this again. You probably are going to have filmmakers attempt to to knock it off but it's not going to be as well done as this is because richard linkletter is a genius because he's one of the best filmmakers in hollywood and so or in austin or you know anywhere else um he's he's fantastic and this is such a such a labor of love and you can tell that and it bleeds through every second of the of the movie that this is a this is a passion project of his but it's also it's just so well done. You know, I feel like a lot of times passion projects, you appreciate that aspect of it. You appreciate how much they care about their subject matter. But a lot of times it, it be, it's like they can't see, they can't see past the, the trees for the forest. You know what I mean? Like they're so excited about what they're doing that they can't see the cuts and the things that need to be done to make it better. Um, this is boyhood is very, very near to a masterpiece in my opinion. And, and that's a, that's probably not a, uh, an uncommon, uh, opinion. It's not like I'm bringing anything new to that, but, uh, it's something that has, I've, I saw it over two, I guess two weeks ago now. And it's, it's, uh, it's stuck with me and I, I find myself kind of thinking about it in, you know, lazy moments or whatever. And, I'm almost like constantly reevaluating how I feel about the movie. Never, it's never like drifting, like oh, I don't like it or or anything like that. But I, I'm remembering little things that maybe I didn't appreciate the first time around because it's it's not an easy it's not an easy movie to sit through, and it's it has a lot of it's not so much a roller coaster, as, and it's also not very it's not super depressing, but it very much dwells in real life. And because of that, that's, that's not always comfortable and that's not always easy to, to sit through. And so, um, I think there are aspects of it that I didn't love in the theater that, you know, 10 or 12 days later, I I'm coming around on in some ways. Um, but yeah, overall, this is, uh, I mean, look, this is very likely to be at the, at or very, very near the top of, of the best of list when we get to that at the end of the year, I would say for me. Sure. I'm going to go ahead and put in a prediction for best director, Richard Linklater. Yeah. There's there's no way he doesn't get that, at least. Uh, we're yet to see the other, you know, Foxcatcher uh, and Inherent Vice and, and Interstellar and things like that that are probably right. going to be in the awards conversation come later this year. But you got to admire the, the effort here. 
no yeah. director except Linklater would do would really do this or just have the patience to do it. After yeah. the movie, I went on online and just started to look up interviews with him. I just wanted to to hear more about his uh, his making of this movie. When I heard about it and the trailer came out, I didn't even watch the trailer because I mm-hmm. didn't want to see what the kid was going to look like when he got older or whatever that they showed. And so I just was super interested to see his thought process behind this. And he said, well, we spent two years in pre-production for this and basically had to make a movie every year, reassemble the crew every single year, you know, find new locations every single year for 12 years. And they would shoot, you know, three days, four days a year, sometimes twice a year, you know, spring, fall. And, uh, and then spent two years in post-production editing the movie. Uh, it's he said also that he didn't show either of the kids Lorelai his daughter or LR Coltrane who plays Mason that he didn't show them any of the footage in the 10 years mm. of the movie because he didn't want to make them self-conscious about their performances you know it's it's a weird thing to hear your own voice to see your own face on TV or on a movie or something especially for both of them who hadn't or, or Lorelai has done a little bit of stuff off and on, but L.R. Coltrane, who had never been in a movie before, so he didn't want him to have that feeling. And, wow. Just the vision here is incredible. Yeah. My my thought process going in was, is this going to be more than just the, the gimmick of it all? Is this going to be a cohesive story? Is this going to be a story that works emotionally for me personally? Sure. Um, I think he he easily accomplished that in my opinion, uh, I don't think there's ever been a movie and this is me personally talking a movie that so closely mirrors my entire life. I mean, I'm I'm sure that's the goal for most, you know, young men, especially, but I mean, I I grew up during this time. I mean, I was in high school during this time and everything. And I, I remember, you know, where I was during all this time and everything. Uh, I would love Dragon Ball Z when I was little. And one of the first scenes <laughs> we get of young young Mason is him watching Dragon Ball Z. I mean, the password on my computer is a Dragon Ball Z reference that I haven't changed since I got my first screen name. Because why would you change a password uh, that you can still use and, and that nobody knows? You know what I'm saying? So, sure. I mean, it's... Until now. <laughs> all right, go through every Dragon Ball Z reference of all time. Dude, you might guess I'm it. I'm not, but Comic-Con guy is... He's already <laughs> typing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, Brian, it, it is. It's a completely unique thing. Kent, it's... it's The achievement of it's incredible. There would definitely be... You're right. There, someone will try to mimic this. Hopefully, like... <laughs> like, Brett Ratner will follow Guy Fury around for 12 years or something awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's the film I want to see. Uh, oh, man, man, manhood. No, but this is like, you know, other. Yeah, Kent. You know what? I know you said it was a few years ago. I, I think I first started hearing stuff about this like four years ago. Maybe, maybe a little more. I have this weird memory, almost like hearing about it a long time ago. But I don't think that's yeah. possible. I think my brain made that up. Um, hearing about it, you know, eight years ago or something. But do you know when the kind of the this kind of leaked? Yeah, it, right at the beginning, right when they were okay. casting the people, and it went on IMDb, and Linklater said that he had to call IMDb and get them to take it off IMDb because okay. he didn't want to answer questions about it for twelve years. You know, he wanted it Got to it. sort of be a sort of secret project, 
Mm-hmm. And obviously up until the past two, three years, it had, it had pretty much been a secret project. He'd gone on to do what se- six or seven other films in the, in the time between those. So, I mean, people had other things to talk to him about in, in, in those times. And by the way, he made really good films in, in between yeah. the times yeah. he made, he was probably psychologically focused on this film because this is his ultimate project, his masterpiece project. And, uh, 2003 made School of Rock right after he started making this. Can you believe? I was going to say that this yeah. was an emotionally captivating and, and emotional movie. Um, probably his second most emotional movie for me, behind obviously School of Rock. <laughs> I, Which... I love School of Rock, and in all the interviews I, I've watched with him in the past few days, no one has mentioned that. Like the the director of Days and Confused and Bad News Bears. Brings you boyhood. I was like, does no one remember School of Rock? Does just no one associate him with that movie at all? Another movie that's extremely well received critically, too. Oh, it's a uh, great movie. Really, the only movie really that makes fun. me cry. It does. It it, it did make uh, me cry. If you want to be the teacher's pet, baby, you can never forget. Maybe <laughs> uh, we were making straight A's, but we were stuck <laughs> in a dumb days. Oh man, I. I'm tearing up thinking about it. So let's move on. But I mean, actually so much of this film reflected my whole life. Um, the music more than anything, really. Mm. I mean, it starts off with Colt plays yellow and right when that started and I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. You know, (laughs) how, how perfect was that song for that moment of young Mason staring up into the sky or stars or however, however you want to put it. Uh, Anthem part two, my favorite blink One Eighty Two song featured in this movie. Uh, Wilco featured in this movie as well. Um, I was Georgia Line. <laughs> I was waiting for the <laughs> till I was waiting for him to get to 2008. I was like, surely there's a Forever the Sickest Kids reference in this movie somewhere. <laughs> uh, settled on Cobra Starship, which basically is is a reference. Uh, we toured with <laughs> with Cobra Starship that year, so uh, they. I'm, I'm not surprised they chose them because because uh, they're awesome. But I, I mean, this movie just so closely mirrored me uh, in my in my life. I mean, even the small things when when young Mason uh, decides that he wants to play guitar or or whatever, and and we see inside his room and he has a guitar case uh, with stickers all over it, and he has a Waterloo Records sticker on his guitar case. I have that same Waterloo Records sticker on my guitar case. Uh, just very small things like that. That um, made it very a very personal experience for me, and I'm not sure everyone got that feeling. You know, I'm sure, sure. females might not have gotten that that feeling, but for somebody who grew up in this time period, it was just a really nostalgic look back at my time growing up uh, in the in the millennial aughts age. So, did you guys have that that feeling leaving yeah, the I mean, theater? I, I think that's the. I mean, I think that's the main point is sure. to is to kind of almost force you to revisit your, your youth in some way or another. And, um, that's, again, that's not always a pleasant experience. I, I I have far more fond memories of my childhood than I do, you know, bad memories or anything like that, but you still, it, this puts you through the, the emotional ringer on that front. It's not what's happening on screen so much that drags you emotionally one way or the other, which is what most movies do. It's the, putting, you know, forcing you to put yourself in the shoes of, of Mason or whoever, you know, in this case it's Mason in another case, whatever, whatever other movie makes you have that feeling. But 
very rarely does something um, – I mean consistently – does a movie consistently pull you in and force you to be the main character in the movie, I think. you know, And, and that's – I think that's what – that's what I went through and I, I feel like most of the people that were in the theater with me kind of had the same – uh, experience. It was very odd walking out of this theater because, again, it's, this is not like a depressing movie or super sad or really even like all that intense or anything. But there was very little commentary leaving the theater. With you know, I went, to, I saw it with a packed house, and then it ended, and we all just kind of like filed out because you're just you're like still taking it in and processing everything that just happened. It was kind of an eerie experience, almost yeah. like leaving the theater with everybody. Um, but yeah, I think that's the point is to kind of, is to, you don't spend 12 years making a movie the way that he did it and then have it be something that's not profound or significant. Um, or at least that's the intention, you know, and, and because Linklater is such a great director, I think he is pretty much able to say, this is what I want to do with this film. And he hit, hit the mark on all, you know, across the, the board, which is, is pretty, pretty incredible in and of itself. Yeah, it's incredible. I had the same experience. It was it was dead silent when when the when the lights came up at the end. It was really yeah. really sort of a humbling experience to be in a theater and and to see it with a with a, a large group of people. But mm-hmm. it's it's so great um that he did so much of this stuff unconsciously and sort of just filmed stuff as it was during this time. You know, um technology cultural landmarks uh things that you can't go back and and film or if you did mm-hmm. now it would just come off fake uh for instance we should sh- probably throw a spoiler let's, let, yeah what's set into spoilers right now uh for boyhood so if you haven't seen this movie go see it and then come back and listen to the rest of this convo we i, I seriously do, i really don't want to spoil this movie for anybody i'd yeah. feel really bad if that happened so just go ahead and turn it off if you haven't seen it. But if you have, uh, continue with us. The, the part where they go into an Astros game <laughs> and see Roger Clemens pitch, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. can't go back and reshoot that, really. Uh, not with those uniforms and not with a packed house because no right. one goes to Astros games anymore. <laughs> not without a lot of horse steroids. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm sure that wasn't in the script. You know, I'm, I'm right. sure in the script it was Ethan Hawke takes him to a baseball game. And they talk about how 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 awesome it base he's teaching them how awesome it is about baseball and then they he takes them home and they reflect on the baseball game, you know. But small things like that to include Roger Clemens in there. Yeah. Uh, it really dates this movie in a nostalgic way and I mean you like I said, you can't you can't make that stuff up. I mean sure stuff like that was just thrown in on the fly, but it makes it so so such a great way to reflect on those on those times, in my opinion. So yeah, totally. The Harry Potter scene is another yes, great one yeah. like that, where they're they're going through and getting picking up their copies of uh, of the Half Blood Prince and stuff like that, which is a really cool scene. Yeah, I mean that that's you know he he made this. This is so genuine and so authentic. Yeah. There are many many times when you you abs- especially when Ethan Hawke's not in the movie. Um, yeah. He's. I, I want to talk about him in a second. All positive, but he's such a he's such a recognizable face, and Patricia Arquette is to a slightly lesser extent. But like when it's just the kids, 
you really do truly forget that you're watching a movie and not a documentary, you know, that this is Absolutely. a scripted, this is something that's been scripted because it is so lifelike and real and authentic in a way that I truly don't think I've ever seen a movie quite pull that off nearly as successfully as this does. The decision to cast his own daughter, Lorelai Linklater, as, as Samantha, the older sister, just mm. a stroke of genius. No one knows her like her own father, you know? Uh, right. He he can tell her to do small things that are that show off her personality, uh, that make it more lifelike. For instance, best uh, daughter performance since Godfather Three and Sofia Coppola. I mean, just <laughs> that good because no one knew her like her dad. You're right. And that's where we drug that performance out of. Uh, yeah. He he gave us two good Godfathers. It's okay. He can cash <laughs> it in. It's cash grab. It's a, it's it's perfectly fine. But the small things like Samantha doing the. Like the yeah. lip smack at the beginning. Yes. No director would really want that in a movie. That doesn't make any sense. And But it adds a sense of realism to it. Another mm-hmm. small detail. She had a a straw coming out of her drink, and there was like a bite mark in the straw. You know, like little kids will bite constantly bite the straw. Right. Uh, something small like that that adds, a, like I said, a sense of realism and almost a documentary-type feel to it. Yeah. That, that was obviously... Uh, kind of an unconscious uh, decision, but I mean, de- it seriously does make all the difference. <laughs> things, cultural things, like even for us being Texans, uh, the evolution of the Texas license plate through mm-hmm. the 10 years. Uh, yeah. You probably won't notice that if you're not from Texas, but you know, the, <laughs> the license plates are, are updated to newer ones throughout. And, and he, sh- he makes an effort to show them when the cars yeah. are driving away every time. Knowing that probably in 10 years, the license plate would look a little bit different and that he'd be able to show that. Uh, such, a, such a genius move. And, I mean, this, this is just assembled beautifully. One more thing I'll say before I, I stop rambling is, out of context, none of these scenes work, really. You know, you can take one scene and say, okay, that's kind of funny. I mean, there's humorous moments, but the sum is so much bigger than the parts here. You know, yeah. it, it's such a progression, a two an hour, two hour, 45 minute progression that just leads to something beautiful. But I mean, every scene is just, you know, three minutes, four minutes, but it's just, it just builds to something so great. And, uh, and out of context, it, it just, I'm not sure it would work. You know, it, just his vision to say in 12 years, this is going to be, this is going to be a movie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't yeah, know no. if, if I could trust that reading a script of a scene where they they walk out of a house and and she's saying goodbye house goodbye leaves and then you know it's just such small little parts right. that were assembled yeah. over such a long amount of time so it's it's almost like and I don't have a great example of this cuz that's a I wasn't prepared to say that but the, it's almost like a it's almost like a record that plays well as a whole record but not doesn't have any singles sure. you know what i mean yeah. like good it, reference um, that's, that's a great, I mean, that's totally what it, what it feels like. And I hadn't really put my finger on that until you, you said that, but yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like this is not a, you're not going to come away from this movie with like a highlight reel of great scenes so much as it is just like, gosh, the whole dadgum thing just feels so whole and cohesive that you can't, you can't really separate one, one scene from another, you know? Yeah, it's it's truly remarkable. And and small little things like the fact that 
and as they're in their preteen stage are watching Will Ferrell's The Landlord on loop, which yes. in those days yeah. was a huge sort of one of the first viral comedy videos when funny the first funny or die video. And I yeah, just yeah. remember watching that with with my oh. friends at during that time a thousand times. Really funny. The Honor the Texas flag pledge. No <laughs> one will really get that except except uh Texas people, but that is an actual thing. Uh, we do pledge allegiance to the Texas flag. Uh, the, the my favorite scene in the movie, maybe, and we'll go around here and, and talk about our favorite scenes. But when they're putting up Barack Obama posters around, <laughs> and uh, yeah. the guy comes out of his house like, "Do I look like a Democrat or something?" Like that? <laughs> uh, I'm a gun-toting American. I don't remember exactly what he says, but something along those lines. So funny. And when they steal the McCain sign out of the guy's yard. Uh, Really, really good stuff. So let's go around and and talk about our favorite moments of the film. Uh, Richard, favorite moment of Boyhood? I know there's a lot, but try to narrow it down. I thought Patricia Carquette was really, really um, matronly in a way that is very unique to to this movie. And it's not like this – it's a much more complex uh, mother character than you've really ever seen in a movie. And I thought that was a really unique – not only uh, character that was written – but just all of her moments in the movie were so well acted to me. I, th- I thought it just really stood out. Yeah, it it was great and underrated too. Mm-hmm. She might it's have, kind of getting lost. Yeah, she might have some people might go back at the end of the year and start to really recognize her. Hopefully, I, ho- I hope so when the awards uh, talk comes out. But Brian, what was your favorite part or most? Uh, surprising part of the film my i thought ethan hawk was amazing i'm i'm not nearly i'm not as high on patricia arquette as y'all as y'all are um but you know that's to each his own that's the way this goes but i thought ethan hawk was the uh was kind of what what held the whole film together to me um and his th- there's one scene you know five or ten minutes where him and he and mason go go camping together and he kind of just takes him off into the woods and they just have this very I felt very re- – obviously very re- realistic but a much more down-to-earth father-son bonding moment than most movies get. Yeah. I, it, yeah. A lot of movies, they, they sell that very well and I'm a major sucker for father-son stuff and like you know surrogate fathers and all that kind of thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'll definitely buy into that easier than other things that I might – otherwise skip over um but this was i that's one of if not the best example of that sort of bonding experience that i've that i've ever seen and and it's because it's so simple and understated and and just and just true to life of just you know this dad's estranged from his from his kid to a certain degree and he's trying to be a better dad and he's trying to give him advice and it was just very a very poignant moment and but also very I, I really – I mean it hit home on how how true to life and how real that stuff is. I will be very, very disappointed and, it, and it's very early. Obviously, there may be 20 great movies that come out between now and uh, an Oscar season. But I will be very disappointed if Ethan Hawke's name is not on all of the award lists for, for Best Supporting Actor. I think he was just truly, truly amazing. And you know he's always – Ethan Hawke is always like a he's like Tom Cruise light or like Tom Cruise not actiony in some ways like he's he's kind of has the same 
he's a much better actor than Tom Cruise is, but he doesn't do the 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 popular stuff that Tom Cruise does. I guess is would be would what I say. But he has the same. He has this quality about him that reminds me of Tom Cruise. And it was this was this was one of the, his his absolute absolute just best performances that I think you're going to get out of anyone. Um, and, and man, he just, to me, he just, he really brought it home, uh, in a lot of these moments that, especially the moments when it's like with Mason and, uh, uh, what's the girl's name? Um, Lorelai Linklater. I can't remember the kid's name. Samantha. But Samantha. Uh, those are two people that have not acted before. And it, I think a lot of the best scenes in the movie are the two of them and Ethan Hawke. So he's really like this centering force for the movie in a lot of ways. And I, I just very much respect the work that he's doing there that man I don't think there's I don't think there's a lot of actors that could have done what he did sure and you say that best father son moment in cinema history maybe uh obviously you're forgetting about Kevin Costner and young Clark Kent and Man of Steel I mean I was <laughs> yeah I was brought to tears almost nearly uh during that touching moment Kevin Costner and his dad's ashes in draft day <laughs> yeah I mean, that's bonding. It is. It's truly, truly is. You're absolutely right. Uh, On a complete opposite note, uh, I don't know the actor's name, but the the guy who played uh, uh, Patricia Arquette's second husband was just, I despised him. Not only uh, his character, but I just thought he was a pretty bad actor. I don't know who who he was, but uh, I'm referring to the guy who plays the drunk uh, stepfather pretty sure. scary guy but i i'm just glad to see that that ended pretty quick i don't know if i could have handled him for two more hours you know like if he if if he had gotten more and more and more aggressive and, and things uh link did a great job of showing that situation and getting out of that situation here what did you what did you think of patricia arquette's progression you know struggles and richard mentioned it a little bit but Brian, what did you think of of that storyline? I thought the storyline was really good. I thought uh, Linklater did a great job of of, of writing a, a very real and normal story for what that character would go through. I was not as impressed with with Arquette's acting ability. You guys mentioned her motherly qualities, and you're you're right on that front. I just I felt like she was. I, I just didn't – I did not buy her in real life the way I bought Ethan Hawke and, and um, uh, Eller Coltrane and, and uh, Lorelai Linkletter. Like it just was a – it was like these people are being filmed for a documentary and then Patricia Arquette is acting in the documentary to me. Yeah. Um, and you know that's not to say that she gave a bad performance or anything like that. I just didn't think that it – it popped out I guess to me as opposed to – Everything else with the main character is just kind of uh, blended into the scenery, as it were. I didn't get that from her, personally. Yeah. No, I I see. I didn't feel that way until things started to fall apart for her and Mm. really fall apart with uh, the abusive husband and the the second divorce after the abusive husband until she started to really think about life and everything and and until she witnessed – uh, Mason's sort of progression into this man that he had become at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. really brought it in the last probably 30 minutes of the movie, in my opinion. I uh, that, totally agree. That's what cemented I, yeah. my love for her 
And at the, the beginning, you're right. It was all Ethan Hawke. In the second half, uh, Patricia Arquette brought it. But Ethan Hawke was fantastic in the second half, too, when he trades in his GTO for a minivan. Um, Gosh. I, I Brian, did you almost lose – did you almost just start bawling whenever his new son's name was Cooper? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, I was like, how, totally how poignant yeah, is that? It, it that really that struck me. I mean, that really hit me. I mean, you, you were saying Kent earlier about how like this this movie kind of mimicked your own growing up, and and that that was the same feeling that I had in that moment of just that. Gosh, that progression with Hawk is is fantastic. Not just like the selling the GTO, like that is such a gut wrenching thing um, in this movie that is so undersold, perfectly, perfectly undersold. Like he doesn't try to hit it. Uh, or make it, you know, some sort of inorganic point or anything like that. But um, that was such a big, you could, I mean, I don't know. Ethan Hawke had probably been in the movie for like 30 minutes up to that point, And you knew how important that car was to his life. And he shows up and he doesn't have the GTO and he's grown the worst dad mustache of all time. And yeah, and his kid's name is Cooper, which is, if we have new listeners, this is my my son's name, and so yeah, I Super did. Like, that was truly a, a moment of just like you know, there were several moments within, but I I got very choked. You up. looked at your wife at that moment, right? You yeah, and your wife I, just I, were like, "What is going yeah, on right now?" <laughs> it was a very and, and you know, there's plenty of movies that have somebody named Cooper, but that was because this is such a real experience. Like, yeah, totally did, totally made me miss my kid, you know, and. I don't generally have that experience in a theater. I'm usually like, thank God I'm not with my child right now. This is so great. But that was uh, one of the, yeah, that was a very uh, heartfelt moment that only I got, you know, nobody else did. And I, that, that does bring up a bigger point. I, kind of what you were saying earlier, Kent, but I wonder if there are, not I wonder, I know that there are moments within this film that are going to hit people, that it's like you have this like special thing with this movie. Like this is something that I share with this movie that no one else is going to care about. Um, and I, I think, again, because it's so realistic, you're getting an opportunity to to have those moments. And I, I can't really remember a film that has that necessarily up to this point. Um, and it's it's so simple too, like the... I think that's the stroke of genius within the whole the whole movie is its simplicity. Like I feel like most of the time when a movie tries to tackle the greater meaning of life, which is this is what that this is doing, it has to approach it in such an abstract or um universally significant way like i kept thinking when i'm watching this of i was like comparing it in my mind to the tree of life and other terrence malick movies and beasts of the southern wild and stuff like that that these i think these movies have a lot in common with with boyhood but boyhood is just such a simple story that it makes it so much more accessible than what you know tree of life or or whatever is but it's it's on the same spectrum somewhere but I don't think that's a – I don't think that like would jump off the page of just like this movie is very much like that that movie. It's just they're they're telling the same story but just in such completely different ways. It's the antithesis of that almost. Whenever um, whenever Mason gets in his later later days, uh, high school days and, and college days, I, I just started to lose it emotionally. As I, it just came together so perfectly in the mm-hmm. last 20, 30 minutes for me personally. Um, the, the scene where, where Mason is, is sort of driving off to college 
by himself in, in his little hand-me-down pickup truck. And the, uh, the, the Family of the Year hero song starts playing. Mm. Dude, I, I shed a tear. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, that song seriously got me through a really, really rough time a, a few years ago. And Link, I read a, a, an interview with Link later, and he said that his one of his interns or, or somebody in the editing bay suggested that song to him. And which I'll play at the end of the episode if of this episode if you're if you don't remember which song it was, but that when he heard it and they put it to the to the movie to the footage of him driving out you know in West Texas or wherever it was to out to college that it was almost too perfect. Like he he was worried that it would come off cheesy because it fit it too well, like mm. as if he had shot the scene around the song. Does that make sense? Sure. So. Uh, I had no idea that song was even in this movie, and I was like, "Okay, this is this is something else." This just person, like 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 you said, I'm sure a lot of people had those moments, but you know that that was the moment where, for me personally, I was like, "Okay, this is something. This is something special here. This is more than just the gimmick of shooting something for 12 years. This is a right. This works, you know." Um, so. That, it, it, like I said, it just came together so well at the end. Uh, the ending. What did you think about the ending where I guess he goes to college, he meets his new roommate, sort of, I, get, I think, starts to fit in for the first time mm. and, uh, and, and meets people that he has common interests with, meets a girl. You know, he, he has this sort of short relationship with the girl in the middle of the movie. And the, the conversation that Ethan Hawke has with him when they're in, in Austin seeing his Ethan Hawke's roommate perform was also another moment where yeah. – uh, where they really connected as a, as a father and son, the moment where he says, don't worry about her, man. I just, I, th- I thought she was kind of square for you. You know, right. I, I was, that's so great. That's such, such like something a, a father would say to her son, right? Like, like you're, you're better than her or she wasn't right for you or something like that. Don't even, don't even think about her anymore. But at the end, it came together so well for me. Seize the moment, I think was like one of the last lines that's, that's uttered mm-hmm. uh, between. Maybe you want to go to the desert and lay around and and take psychedelics or whatever. Yeah, the well, end. that part's that part's already. I, mean, that's I was on had. psychedelics when I saw it, so that part was taken care of. <laughs> just a crazy experience, man. It was just nuts, but it just came together so well at the end. What did you guys think of the ending? Did you think that it ended on a good note? Uh, did it kind of leave you hanging at the end, Brian? No, I thought it was the perfect ending because it it's. This whole movie is – and then the title of the movie is Boyhood and we've seen this kid grow from five years old to 18 years old and he is at college and he's got his whole life ahead of him and that's exactly where the movie needed to end. Like that's and, – and setting it in a in a canyon uh, out in somewhere in, in West Texas kind of gives you – you know, he's like looking out into the – it's very poetic ending that I yeah. felt was uh, – absolutely was was perfect for, for the film and and leaves it with a positive note that most movies – you know, we come to expect most movies are going to end on a positive. Um, I felt like this one really needed to end with him – if not experiencing something directly positive, then like the outlook being a positive uh, as opposed to kind of this kind of back and forth, not so great life that he'd had up to that point, if that makes sense. So I was excited to see that. Um, I just, you know, it hit and it 
it, you know, the, the, the closing credits rolled and I was like, okay, that's perfect. Like that's exactly where we should end this story. Sure. And I, I totally agree. Richard thoughts on the end. You're right, Brian. It's kind of this uh, metaphorical cliff. I don't know the metaphorical's right, but this sort of allegorical cliff where we can kind of see the rest of his life from afar. This kind of new starting point is to kind of go. Oh, this is like so awful film criticism uh, cliche, but the, it is this kind of peak where you can now end this story, and you know, uh, you could, I, I, you could obviously start filming a whole new twelve-year movie right here that would cover his twenties or something. But uh, right. it's 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 absolutely the perfect stopping point, and uh, I, that was one thing I was really curious about going into it because it's like, how do you end that story? Right. But uh, no, I, it was done beautifully, and uh, and uh, couldn't couldn't have uh, couldn't have asked for more. It, was, it, it did get a little dusty there at that point several times. Got the movie, yeah, it's a dust storm in my theater, but not <laughs> not quite school of rock level. Yeah, basically, to me, with this movie, what it means and what I meant earlier by saying, out of context, none of these scenes really work on their own. But it's that's what life is. It's all about the little moments that, you know, you have the the big, you know, graduate high school, graduate college, get married, have kids moments, but it's the small ones that make life personal. And he sort of, Mason sort of has that conversation with his mom. She's, she says, you know, you, I've grown up, I've had two, three divorces. Both of my kids have grown up, got, graduated, gone to college. What's next? My death. And then Mason right. says, no all the moments in between your death yeah. from now till your death. Uh, I think that's the, that's the moment in the script where, where it really came together for Linklater, how he knew this was going to work as a film, just uh, some small little, little memorable moments that if you were that family, you would remember going bowling with your dad and not him, not letting you use bumpers and, mm-hmm. and small stuff like that. But uh, it just came together so well, such, you know, you said masterpiece, Brian, um, friend of the podcast, David Edelstein uh, from New York Magazine said uh, this is not maybe not the best movie he's ever seen, but it's one of them. Yeah. You know, it's it's up there and time will tell, obviously. I mean, I, I'm too fresh on it to make that judgment at this point, but it right. could, if, if you said, okay, that's the best movie ever, I, I could not legitimately make an argument against that at this point. Uh, still a few days removed from it. So, Wow. Um, let's go on. Let's, let's hit grades real quick for boyhood. Uh, I'm going to give this an a freaking plus, uh, definitely will be in the conversation at the end of the year. This is a movie I'm going to revisit uh, multiple times and a plus all around huge, huge, great effort. Uh, just, just a great piece of, of American cinema, Brian grade. Yeah. I, you know, there was a, there's a few little blips to me that there, the things that are wrong with it, this movie as a whole are very small, but, but it's so close to being a masterpiece that they are almost magnified in a way, because it's like, gosh, if you could have just nailed this and this, then it would have been perfect. And, um, and, but I, I find myself kind of reevaluating, uh, in the last 10 days, like wh- how significant those little minor issues are and whatnot. Um, I'm going to go with an A right now, but I, I'm not certain that by the time we get to, you know, end of the year sorts of stuff that I'm not going to have it as a, a straight A plus and have it at the top of the list If that. I don't know. It's I'm still, I'm still wrestling with it in some ways, which is a good thing. That's, that's the way great film. So I'll just go with the straight a great Richard. 
I'm going to go with a oh, – I'm torn between you. Not the first time, right, guys? Um, I'm, I, don't, I don't even know what that means. Uh, I'm going to go – I'm going to go A+. Plus. Sweet. Uh, before we move on and hit weekly recommends, we didn't talk much about Linklater and his filmography. Uh, I, I just want to know personally, what is y'all's favorite Linklater film uh, going all the way back, you know, mid eighties, I guess you could technically go, but D- yeah, days and confused for me. That's days and confused. Is one of the, is one of my favorite movies of all time. So that's a, that's an easy, easy answer. Richard, I know your answer. School of rock. Yeah, you know what I liked though? I'll give one that a lot of people didn't see. It didn't get very good release here. It's not that old is uh me and Orson Welles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That one, if you look at it, Rotten Tomatoes is like 85%. It's really a good little movie. Efron's really good in it. And uh should have been should have been I mean not saying it should have made a hundred million, but like no one saw that movie. I don't even yeah. know if it got released over here. It's really pretty good. Mine um I love Days and Confused as well, Brian. I that one's up there for me. I mean it's an obvious choice, but it's it's obvious because it's great. Right. Um I loved Bernie in two thousand eleven. Yeah. That's that's a close maybe a number one, close close second would probably be Days and Confused. Bernie, another movie that hugely underrated, no one really saw, mm-hmm. and, but everyone that did see it immediately told their friends to go see it. Good, good family film. You could put, throw on on a Friday night with the fam and watch. Jack Black is just extraordinary in that movie. I'm, I think that was a year where there was a lot of strong there acting were, performances. Yeah. I think The Descendants was out. Clooney got the Descendants award that year or something like that. But wow. Bernie is fantastic. Go back and watch that. What a what a fantastic actor Jack Black uh, can be. So yeah, the Before Sunrise trilogy as well. Is, sure, is, is we should really, we should mention really that we've mm-hmm. we've gotten a couple emails I think about why we didn't mention that in our best of 2013 episode before midnight. Yeah, and it it that's our fault. We should have mentioned that for sure. We should have. It's just hard to do that without the other two. So it's kind of like its yeah. own unique chapter yeah. of another story i don't really think of it as like independent movies in a way but definitely is one of the best movies made but that good job emailers way to catch that way to catch it okay guys let's move on let's hit a weekly recommend okay i'm gonna i'm gonna recommend something sort of applicable to to boyhood richard linklater talked about some of his influences for for Boyhood and, and the reason he made it and some of the movies that inspired Boyhood. And oddly enough, Brian and I randomly discussed this movie last week when we talked Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 <laughs> throwback. <laughs> I'm going to recommend uh, The 400 Blows, mm. which is, by some people's opinions, the best coming-of-age uh, story. Certainly the the main character, Antoine Duanel, which... Um, it's sort of the same thing. Uh, the filmmaker Francois Truffaut, which is French New Wave, is a is a genre that sort of brought about independent cinema uh, a while ago. But he sort of made multiple films about that character, and uh, so Linklater thought about doing that sort of same thing, but in one film. So uh, this is a great opportunity for me to to recommend the Four Hundred Blows. It's a Criterion Collection movie. So as Richard pointed out a few weeks ago, if you have a Hulu plus accounts you can stream it for free on hulu plus and it's 100 percent worth your time and effort i think it is subtitled so fair bit of warning there but absolute masterpiece of a film uh you'll you'll love it if you loved um love boyhood and 
we talked about it because we talked about Rushmore last week when we discussed films yeah. that came out in 1999, and it's very similar to Rushmore in a lot of ways too. So, uh, any film lovers should uh, should really appreciate it. So, the 400 Blows is my recommend. Uh, Brian, we recommend. Yeah, I'm going to pick something that is so far from Boyhood. I I just can't even believe it. Um, a little movie called Galaxy Quest is celebrating its 15th anniversary yeah. this week. And uh, I have no idea if either of you guys have ever seen it, let alone are, are fans of the movie. Um, it's it's like one of those – I'm not going to call it a cult classic, but it's, it's very – I think it's kind of on that level of – you know, I saw that movie. I didn't. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I believe I saw it uh, just, you know, on DVD release or something. And it's one of those movies that you 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 enjoy, but you don't really talk about because it doesn't seem like something that other people are gonna like. And then a few years down the line, you find out more and more of your friends and stuff really enjoy the movie. Um, I rewatched it this week after I, I sent you guys like I think MTV of all places, MTV News had like an, a very brief oral history of the making of the movie and whatnot. Um, and it was, it, it got me intrigued enough that I went back and watched last week. Uh, and it's, it's such a fun movie and it, I think it's supremely underrated and, uh, is one that I, I would love for, for more people to watch. And I would, I would hazard to guess that there are many people from the generation, um, after mine that have never even heard of the movie. Cause who, you know, it's like I said, it's never been a real big hit or something that people have trumpeted or anything like that. Um, but man, it's such a funny movie and it's, it has, it's just great from a satirical standpoint and it's, it's got an enjoyable and, and pretty interesting and unique storyline. And the, the cast is great. Um, you know, you have to kind of get past Tim Allen cause that's not always a great thing, but Alan Rickman is fantastic and, uh, Sam Rockwell. And I think probably the first role that I ever like recognized him in, um, he's, he's fantastic. So, uh, if you've never seen Galaxy Quest, it's definitely it's definitely worth your time. Definitely something that you need to check out. Um, and then you can email me and, and tell me you agree. You don't have to uh, if you don't have friends that like it. Uh, you know, we we can be buddies and and talk about Galaxy Quest. So Galaxy Quest is my pick this week. Uh, sure. Yeah, good good candidate for a throwback episode. Yeah, Galaxy Quest It'd be fun. Yeah, it'd be really fun. Lots of fun. Richard, Lots recommend. Uh, I would protect, uh, recommend something that's a little bit off uh, the the beaten path here. I don't really know how to recommend this because it's kind of a series and there's a lot of different ways in which you can interpret this or ingest this material. But uh, there are books and there's movies and there's um, a really good kind of series, miniseries things on, from the BBC. But uh, are you guys familiar at all with the works of P.G. Wodehouse at all? Either of you? No. P.G. Wodehouse <laughs> is a uh, very uh, – is an English humorist. Um, early 20th century. And he uh, kind of invented the Jeeves like Butler character, like Ask Jeeves, remember uh, that from yeah. the late 90s, is based off of his character Jeeves. And it's kind of uh, the very smart Butler that knows everything and then his very rich and stupid um, kind of ward <laughs> that he works for. And there's just like, there's hundreds of little stories and novels based on it. There's a really great um, series that BBC did uh, in like 80s and 90s with Hugh Laurie and uh, Stephen Fry as uh, Jeeves and Bernie Wooster. Um, that's really excellent. And those are all on YouTube if you ever want to like watch those. But it's like, um, it's it's British humor, but it's like, uh, it's much more universal than something like Python or anything like that. It's also older humor, but it's kind of uh, works across all generations and uh, you can learn from it. And it's it's also just really, really funny. I love P.G. Wodehouse. 
He's like every writer that I love loved PG Wodehouse. So like uh, he's kind of like influenced everything that I like. Um, but uh, it's really kind of very um, subtle and, and really good humor. And the stories are oftentimes mysteries too, um, in which you kind of you know get to fight your way through a plot and kind of find something out that's that's always pretty unique and fun. So um, I will recommend. I can't. I'll send you what what I want to recommend in terms of. Um, like specifically on the website, but, okay. uh, but just anyone, anything you can get your hands on a PG Wodehouse, whether it be in book form or a video online or a DVD set, it's, it's all wonderful. I recommend it highly. Great. Uh, good stuff. I'll, I will check that out personally. Uh, you should, I, you would like it a lot. Ken. I will. You would love it. That sounds great. I, I like Fry and Laurie too. Yeah, uh, exactly. Good, good stuff. Um, one more thing I do want to mention about boyhood, which, which I didn't get to, uh, earlier, the little star Wars talk in it, was funny yeah yeah can you imagine them making another star wars movie yeah but it can't be after return of the jedi because that <laughs> th- that that stuff's completely over that's done uh, right they probably filmed that you know and in link letters like, okay that has to be in the movie now you know right. Uh, right. considering what what's about to come out next year so just had to mention that uh, i knew i'd be kicking myself i didn't get that in but great stuff link later keep it coming guys brian where can I find your work on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at bgill 12 You can find my writing at canbabiesdrinkredbull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitter at Richard Barden. Kent, where can I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison and find us online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Find each and every one of our weekly recommends on there. Find our full list of American treasures on there as well. And, uh, of course, if you like our show... Leave five stars and leave us a review on iTunes. Yes. And I guess we'll be talking American Treasures next week since it's August, guys. Yeah? No? Maybe. Maybe? Okay. All right. Maybe. All right. Uh, Well, until next time, uh, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Let me go. With everyone else, your masquerade. I don't wanna be a part of your parade. Everyone deserves a chance to walk with everyone else.